Welcome to What the Fab, a fan's first sports network fantasy baseball show where there are no silly questions. I'm Sarah Sanchez, and as always, I'm here to break down what's going on in fantasy baseball with some of the greatest minds in the industry in a way that strives to demystify this wonderful game a bit while bridging the gap between your home league and the NFBC main event. Today, we're checking in on Glarf just after Memorial Day with Adam Howe, who you know from his great work at Pitchers List. He is an FSWA award-winning director of podcasts for his Pitchers List and the co-host of the On the Wire podcast, which I have been on and is great. He is also one of my league mates in Glarf, and Glarf is one of my favorite leagues that I play in each year. So I'm excited to kind of break down what's been working well for Adam this year, what hasn't, and how he's approaching the waiver wire. Welcome to What the Fab, Adam. Hey, Sarah. Thanks for having me on. And can I just say that Glarf is not only an amazing league, but we are still a first in Earth, in the Earth Fantasy Baseball League. Uh, that's pretty That's pretty cool because back-to-back league-wide champions. Unfortunately, I can't say like you can that I've been at the top of that at one point or another. <laughs> but the fact that you're we're part of a league that is uh, kind of taking away that championship uh, two years in a row, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I think it's amazing. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the Earth League or maybe um, haven't heard about it, talked about on some of the other podcasts out there. So Glarf is the Great Lakes area Roto Fantasy League. We are one region that is represented in this entire network of podcasts in the Earth League, uh, the Bay Area Roto Fantasy League, Barf, the Southern California Roto, I, I don't know exactly how they do it. It's Scarf, though. Uh, it's Southern California Warf. area. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. Wharf and Nerf, and I think there's a St. Louis one. Like, there's just a bunch of stuff going on here. It's They're all super competitive. My favorite thing about this network is just how engaged everybody is. Like, it is rare for someone to just totally, like, bounce and not take care of their team at all. And I had Dave McDonald on a few weeks ago, and he was talking about that being one of his points of pride, too. But so in addition to our own, like we're trying to win our regional league component, there's an overall component to this. And there is like a, your league is competing against all the other leagues component, um, which we give money to charity for that. And Glarf has won back-to-back years. The first year we kind of won won it going away. Second year, I really was nervous. Like I thought (laughs) Nerf was going to run us down. Nerf was right up on us, yeah. (laughs) So um, yeah, we are we are very competitive in the Earth Network, and it's a it's a league that, frankly, it's the hardest waiver wire I do each week. It, it does not matter how much attention I pay to the earlier fab runs and how I tweak my bids. There's always something, and there was this week again where I'm like, ah, oh, I wish I would have done that one thing. Um, but I learn a lot from this league. It's a really difficult and fun in person draft. And Adam, I'm I'm excited to dive into it a little bit with you here. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, like you said, it's definitely one of the most competitive fab leagues. I'm in eight or nine of them this year. And it's just amazing how many moves are made through every Sunday by every team. It's the list is like the, it's one of the only list of fab results I have to scroll through to get to the to get to the bottom every single week. And it just shows that everybody's got a long list of conditional bids going on. All their waterfalls are filled in. Um, it's not like you're bidding on one or two guys for every drop. You're bidding on like eight or 10 guys to make sure that you get somebody. It's pretty, it's pretty competitive for sure. Absolutely. I'm in five fab leagues this year and it's honestly taking so much of my time. I don't know how you're doing eight or nine. Like, do you have a Sunday? I think it's going to be something we talk about later on in the uh, in the episode for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Before we do, news from around the league, just making sure everybody's on the same page with stuff that is going on this week. And this is one, I mean, right off the top, that is going to be problematic for me as I'm setting my lineup on Monday. Uh, So it it sounds like Julio Arias could be back this week. He threw a successful bullpen session and the prognosis looks good. But His start would not be until like the end of the week. And so I am sitting in a position where I have both Julio Arias and Michael Grove uh, in this league. And I'm like, which one of these guys do I start? Like one of them is going to pitch and the other one is not. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, when it comes down to it, I, 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 most of the time when I have a decision like this to make, um, I do tend to go with what Nick Pollock calls the still ill. Um, A guy coming right off the IL, his first start back. Keep them on your bench. See how it goes. Um, unless it's just like an ace of ace. And obviously, Urias can be that. 
but when you have so many question marks about whether or not he will start this week, he won't start this week. Will they push him back to Monday or Tuesday of the following week? Uh, I think you you're safer kind of not taking the zero or not taking the possible zero um, and just keeping on your bench and see how he does in that first start back as well. Well, and it Grove, seems like, you sure. know, yeah. So Grove, I'm worried about zero or zero, right? But sure. <laughs> it does seem like the way that most MLB teams are managing their pitching, they're not just going to let Grove go back to the minors without throwing any innings at all. He'll probably get like some sort of long relief stint on a night where somebody struggles or something. Sure. If they know Urias is going to be back, at least that's what I'm hoping. <laughs> I don't know. I went back and forth on this and I'm probably going to go back and forth on it five more times. It does look like for those of you who won the Bobby Miller sweet stakes, uh, that Bobby Miller will get the rotation spot over. Michael Grove. I'm going to hold Grove as long as I can in 15 teamers because I'm sure that there will be another opportunity in the Dodgers lineup soon. But frankly, he's probably headed back to AAA in the short term. Yeah, I would I would venture guess that that's uh, that's probably true. The thing with Bob Miller, what I like about him, besides obviously what he's doing on the mound right now, is that he had a late start to the season. Um, and so yeah. any kind of those innings caps that you might be concerned about with these prospect pitchers, with these young guys coming up, um, at least that should extend him further into the season, if not throughout August and September as well. As long as he keeps it's a really great. It's a really great call out there on Miller. And honestly, part of my skepticism with Miller was the exact opposite. I'm like, oh, he has so few innings. The Dodgers are just going to be so cautious. And and no, no, that that was a miss for me. Um, And I'll own it. Uh, let's talk about another rotation where we've got some interesting stuff going on here. So Michael Soroka had two starts last week. It's the first time we'd seen Soroka in two seasons since he had been in the Rookie of the Year running. Um, he struggled quite a bit in both of those starts, but it, he does still look like he's in the rotation. The Braves need arms in that starting rotation right now. Soroka and Schuster appear to be the two guys who are going to pitch this week. However, they've called AJ Smith Shaver up from high A. He literally started the season this year at high nice. A. Then he was in double A, did like two starts in double A, didn't give up an earned run in high A or double A, made it to triple A, finally gave up some earned runs. And now he's in the majors pitching out of the bullpen Lots of people have commented that this looks very similar to the Spencer Strider rise a few years ago. Um, and for those of you who recall, Spencer Strider got called up in September, pitched out of the pen, and then threw out of the pen from April until about May 30th, and then has just been in that Braves rotation ever since. I would normally think that that's like some hyperbole, that that's fantasy people getting ahead of themselves. But Brian Snicker also compared him to Spencer Strider. I mean... I, I do not have A.J. smith Shaver in Tout Wars because in Tout Wars, you have to start a guy the second that you get them. I picked him up almost everywhere else that I could. Uh, you could not pick him up in the NFBC yet unless somebody had drafted him already. So that is going to be a real interesting fab bid net weeks. What, what do you think of smith Shaver? I, I think it was crazy that they called him up on, what, Tuesday? But he didn't actually get on the mound until Sunday, <laughs> which obviously, like you said, and NFBC, you know, pushes back his uh, free agency back another week. Uh, you have to have had some time in the MLB by Saturday, end of day, um, in order for you to be in the pool. Um, I, it's, I think it's just low hanging fruit to call him, you know, Strider, especially since it's on Atlanta. It's on the same team as Strider. It's about the same time of year that Strider started to get into that that groove last year as well, where he started starting games. So he's a little behind in that case. Strider was up pretty much from the get go in those long relief, actually in some short relief, then long relief. It was a very gradual uh, change throughout the course of the season before he started starting games. And even when he was starting games, going four innings, five innings, he wasn't really going deep into games until late into the season, I believe. Um, I, I mean, I think obviously uh, Smith Shaver is got the pedigree. He's doing good things in, in the minors. He has done, even if they were in such low minors, um, we're talking about a 20 year old who's moved three levels in a, a period of like four days is what it felt like um, throughout the course of the, the recent history. Um, but I mean, the repertoire is very similar. I, mean, I get why people are saying it. I mean, you got that high end fastball, high end slider uh, with the potential of adding in the extra the extra secondaries as well. Kind of exactly right up Strider's alley. 
I can see it happening, but things have got to kind of iron out. I agree with you. I think Soroka is in that rotation until he gets hurt. Simple as that. I don't think Soroka could really do anything harmful to kick him out of the rotation. I think the only thing that's going to get Soroka out of the rotation um, is, you know, re-injuring, knock on wood. Nobody wants to see that. I think 99% of the population is rooting for this guy to continue to, for his continued success, whether you're, you know, an Atlanta fan or not. Uh, but I, I mean, I have a lot of, uh, I don't have any Smith Shaver anywhere yet because in, like you said, almost everywhere is NFBC. Uh, I do have a couple of Yahoo leagues where we have, at least on my dynasty league, he wasn't picked up in any of our minor league drafts in the past. And so we have a very strict, uh, you have to wait very similarly to, to NFBC. You have to wait until he make the majors and then he goes on waivers. Um, so we'll see what, what happens there. And he, uh, well, I'll see what happens there as he clears waivers. But I'll be very interested because even if he doesn't move into a rotation spot, this is a guy, a guy that whose stuff will play up in a two, in a long relief role. His stuff will play up in a two, Two and a third. We saw it on Sunday. Finally, um, you know, going just over two innings of work and getting you know all those strikeouts and and just not letting up a run. Um, I think it was one hit in that in that time frame. And so this is somebody I'd be very interested in pretty much any kind of format, just because the, the long relievers are a lot more valuable, I think, than people really give them credit for, especially this year. In the, in the first two months of the season, we've seen how terrible starters have been off the wire, not only in 15-teamers, but in 12-teamers as well. Uh, so it'll be somebody that I'll be looking at for sure. Yeah, I could not agree with you more. I think that as a middle reliever, it sounds like what the Braves want to do here is get him experience, see what he can do, and they have an incentive to keep increasing his innings, right? Like if the idea is that he's going to be this long relief type of guy for them for the next part of the season or potentially take a rotation spot start here or there as he can, they have to keep putting him in situations where he's going two plus innings, where he's going three plus innings and seeing what happens. That makes him the type of guy who can vulture a win. That makes him the type of guy who can get like a three inning save. That makes it, and the K's, the stuff looks really intriguing. I'm definitely interested in AJ Smith Strother. I picked him up uh, in any 12 team team league where I had a roster spot uh, just to see what would happen to, if with him in that middle relief role. I missed out on him in Tout Wars. I wound up um, getting Reese Olsen in my waterfall instead. And so I missed out on him. Matt Truss. Got him for one dollar, and nah. I'm just like, I cannot. One dollar, AJ Smith Chopper might be the steal of the entire Fab waiver waiver wire. We'll find out. Um, <laughs> but I am real curious to see what happens in the NF these NFBC leagues next week because I think the bidding could be all over the place. Like you could see him go for like somebody bidding ten, twelve dollars because they're looking at him as a middle reliever guy, and they're just not entirely sure what they're getting. And you could see people spend some pretty decent money hoping for the Strider upside. I have no idea what to expect on the bidding here. Yeah, I think something to something to keep in mind is, I mean, he went sixty-eight and two-thirds innings last year at A ball. I get that, but like you said, if they're going to want to continue to get his innings up, the, even in long relief, they're going to want to let him go two, three innings at any given point, and maybe he gets a spot start here or there just to get them get him up to over a hundred innings in 2023 i mean he doesn't have that many innings so far under his belt i think quick math it's like around 30 35 innings so far so wild so he's got i mean potentially upwards between 70 and 80 more innings in that arm throughout the course of the re the rest of this season uh so i don't see him being a one inning here or there guy it's gonna be a all right, we need you to go every three or four days you need to go two or three innings at minimum and so that kind of volume where his stuff is going to play up in that role um, could be very valuable. Yeah, I'm, I'm super intrigued. Um, another guy I'm intrigued about, two guys I'm intrigued about, actually. Justin Steele hit the injured list. He got pulled from his last start. He was perfect through three, got pulled um, with some forearm tightness. The Cubs have said that the MRI looked pretty good, but there, there did appear to be some inflammation there. So they put him on the IL. It looks like he's going to miss two starts. Uh, those starts will go to Hayden Wisniewski, who did the long relief work after Justin Steele came out of that game and looked like he had fixed some of the issues that were plaguing him when he got sent back to the minors. And for those of you who I, I watch a lot of Chicago Cubs baseball, um, Hayden Wisniewski really was just getting crushed by lefties and he was having some command issues and, and they would kind of multiply upon themselves. And so the difference between one his good starts and his bad starts was really just clobbered by lefties, command stuff. Neither of those looked to be in play when he came in 
um, in this last long relief uh, situation with Steele. And I think it was against the Tampa Bay Rays, unless I am totally mistaken. He looked real good against the best offense in baseball. Any interest in Hayden Wisniewski while he tries to establish reestablish himself in the rotation for the Cubs? I don't I don't think so. Not yet. Um, this is a wait and see based on what we saw prior to the demotion, um, like like you alluded to. Yeah, sure. He was getting beat up by, you know, that that lefty left handedness um, that <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the opposite handedness of lefties. But he's also I, especially in the blow up game that sent that ultimately sent him down seven earned runs. He let up four off the seven home runs came off the long ball four home runs in that game. He's let up a home run in almost every single start uh, throughout the course of the season. Only two games uh, where he didn't let up a home run there. The the thing that I, I like about Wesneski is that he goes long into almost every start, even, even the ones where he's getting kind of knocked around. They're still letting him kind of go through it and kind of eat it, if you will. Um, and at the very least, I mean, I'm looking down his game log. Uh, the, 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 their blowups are four and a third, four and two thirds. They didn't pull him right away. Like these, these um, blowups are coming either later on in, in his outings or they're letting him kind of work through that, uh, which is, you know, a sign of confidence. And obviously the extra sign of confidence is that he was the one that came in um, for steel after he had to get pulled and work through it. And yeah, you let up a run, but it wasn't off the home run. So that's a good sign. Um, I think I'd like to see him uh, at least one or two more times out. And granted, I'm sure that'll be too late for me in most of my leagues. He'll be gone if he's not gone already. Uh, but it's a situation where I'm, you know, I, I don't have any wetness scares. I wasn't on the hype train to begin with at the beginning of the season. So I, I, he, I haven't seen anything this year that would have changed my mind. I do have a little bit of Wisniewski. I also dropped him in a 12-teamer that I was like, yeah, I just can't, I can't keep writing this. And then he got sent back to the minors. So that was correct. Um, but he has two starts this week. He has the Angels and the Giants. I'm particularly interested in that Giants start just because I think the Giants are a platoon-heavy team. And we'll see what happens when the Giants load up on lefties against Hayden Wisniewski and how he is going to combat that. He did get picked up in a bunch of leagues this week. But if for some reason your league is one where he was not picked up, or he gets kind of battered around a little bit in one of these starts. Maybe you could you could buy low on Hayden Wisniewski if you are a true believer. The guy that I am more interested in on the Cubs side of things, I feel like I've been talking about him for like a season and a half now. Um, Cody Hoyer is due to come off the 60-day injured list on the 5th of June. Uh, and he has been throwing gas in Iowa. So the back end of the bullpen for the Cubs has been a problem. Adbert Alzali and Mark Leiter are like the only two dudes who appear to have any sort of, yes, we can do this and we're, we're going to keep doing it in them at all. Every time Michael Fulmer comes in, I almost have a heart attack. Uh, I think Cody Hoyer could establish himself in the back end of this bullpen real fast. And that's what the Cubs traded Craig Kimbrell to the White Sox for him and Nick Madrigal for. Yeah, I mean, you talked about this on our show on the wire in the preseason. Uh, somebody you want to be keeping an eye out for. I know, I I think I grabbed Hoyer in one draft and hold, basically based on what you had told me and how how confident and how strongly you felt about it. Um, I also picked him up in my like home dynasty league where we have like we have ten IL spots, and I held him as long as I can, and then and then all of a sudden that team filled up with eleven IL players, and I had to drop somebody. So Hoyer is on the is on the free agent market right now. The thing I'm worried about is the the Cubs have had like no save opportunities this season, as good as they've been. You know, we retro, you know, uh, relatively speaking, um, at one point it was like they had five save opportunities or five saves under the belt. I talked about this two weeks ago and on the wire uh, where I was talking about like, Hey, do we pick up Mike L Mark lighter? Does it matter? Like, and then he goes <laughs> and gets like two more saves on top in, in a week. And that's just the save landscape in general. I worry about Cody Hoyer, not only not getting the opportunities because the Cubs aren't going to give them to, not, they won't give it to him, but that they won't, present themselves uh, but I do think that obviously coming back from that kind of an injury for that length of period of time no matter how good he's looked in his rehab since um, it's going to take any team uh, time to put him into that high leverage role regardless of what kind of mess you think that the, that bullpen is in uh, which I don't necessarily disagree with you on that uh, especially with Fulmer and Boxberger being injured and all that yeah that Worth taking a cheap flyer on if you are in need oh, sure. of saves and you have a spot on your bench that you can just kind of stash in there for a little bit because the back end of the Cubs bullpen is 
a dumpster fire for the most part. Um, the Guardians got Tristan McKenzie back, and it appears that both Logan Allen and Tanner Bybee are sticking in the Guardians rotation. That is a best-case scenario for fantasy teams. What do you think of Tristan McKenzie's return? Uh, Chris McKenzie was very similar to Wisniewski, where I didn't really have any shares. I know that you were either all in or all out on yeah. Tristan McKenzie going into the season. Um, I, it took me a little while, but I ended up being all out. And, you know, just by default, <laughs> I didn't pick him up anywhere. Uh, so we'll see how he holds up. I think that's my major worry is, yeah, he looks he's looked good in his rehab and people seem pretty confident about him coming back. Uh, we'll just see how long that ends up lasting. And um, it won't be. Unfortunately, it won't be on my teams if it's anything good. Fair enough. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez injury sounds like he ruptured a ligament in his thumb, which he's gonna, definitely going to be out for a little while now. Reese Olsen um, got called up through five uh, no-hit innings against the White Sox before he got hit around a little bit in the sixth and then ultimately got pulled before getting an out in the sixth. What do we think about Reese Olsen? I, I'm intrigued a little bit. I mean, the, the Tigers, he's going to get some He's going to get some run and the Tigers play in the Central. So I know that there's a more balanced schedule this year, but they still get more teams, more games against the worst teams in baseball than anyone else. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's fair enough. Um, I mean, I, I, it's really weird. I've been, I feel like I've been running with more Tigers and Oakland A's pitchers than I really should be um, in a lot of my twelve teamers, <laughs> just because the matchups have been pretty, uh, pretty nice. And Oakland's been, you know, facing Miami, and Detroit's been uh, had some decent matchups with uh with the White Sox. Um, I mean, Michael Lorenzen is is the main guy out of Detroit that um, I've been rolling with lately, just because of the, the success he's seen um, and the matchups that he's seen so far. But with with Reese, I mean, it's the same thing. Their schedule um, doesn't really look that great moving forward, at least not as good as it had been uh, recently. Of course, we know that the schedule in general is is not as weighted as it had been in the past. They're not only beating or they're not only facing off against those um, AL central teams. Uh, they got a lot more teams, a lot more games against, you know, better opponents. Um, he, he's, he's a decent enough arm to stream in, in 12 teamers for sure. Um, and it's one of those situations where uh, if you have the ability to hold on to him, and I think he's got Philadelphia and Atlanta coming up um, on the schedule not necessarily think I something I feel super confident about with any Detroit pitcher, never mind somebody who's even shown the inkling of some kind of success. Uh, but if you can hold on to him and, and get, you know, the schedule after that, whatever that ends up landing in, in the rotation, if he holds on to that rotation spot that long, uh, then then sure, by all means. But I mean, at this point, he's probably more of a, you know, I'll let somebody else take the risk on that schedule and and trying to grab him after the fact. Yeah. Okay. And last up and here, but certainly not least, I'm going to keep harping on this Phillies rotation a bit because I just can't understand. I've got like two spots out there and I'm like, what are they going to do with them? And for some reason, Matt Strom is being used as an opener, not a starter, which I, maybe they're saving his innings for later. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, Dylan Covey keeps getting lots of innings for the Phillies. And this does not seem like a recipe for the Phillies coming back anytime soon, but maybe I am just not watching enough Phillies baseball. Yeah, yeah, I guess I don't understand why Covey and Strom don't end up being just handcuffs to each other. Um, give them both two innings, three innings in, in a certain game. It's not a bullpen game if it's just two guys taking the bulk of it. Um, I I agree. Strom's stuff obviously plays up in a relief type of role. So give him an opener. Don't make him be the opener. Let an opener come in, start it off, form everybody up, and then he come in and let his stuff play up for four innings and you know obviously we we say that as fantasy managers because we want the opportunity at that win and for him his stuff to pull up um he was a guy that when he was with boston or in the offseason he specifically said he was going to be looking to sign with a team that would allow him to start games and surprisingly the phillies did that to start the season did not hold up that end of the bargain uh, he, he pitched well. I, I I don't necessarily understand why they didn't just run with it. But again, yes, I'm sure it's an innings concern in general. Um, and maybe they do want those innings for the stretch run if they're battling for that NL East uh, position for the playoffs. Um, they got to, you know, they got some work to do in that in that uh, area. But I I would like to I, I would hold on to Strom if I can just because his stuff is still playing up, but he's not giving you anything else as far as you know win opportunities go. I really 
I liked Strom more when he was in middle relief than I do in this opener sure, role. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> in middle relief, Strom made a ton of sense, right? Because it's like, oh, he can vulture some wins. The K ratio is really good. Like, the everything's going to be fine. And I, I, as an opener, it's almost kind of like the worst of everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's the worst possible outcome, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsors. On the flip side, uh, we're going to... Deep dive into Glarf a little bit. I was drafting third on this board. Adam was drafting 12th. We're going to talk about what's gone well for us, what has not gone as well for us. Uh, Full disclosure, this is a league that I was doing great in last year and not so great this year. So I'm trying to claw my way back after some injuries. But we'll talk about all of that on the flip side. First, a quick break. And we are back. All right. So I was happy with this draft when I did it. And I went back and pulled the draft board, and it's very easy to see where my problems come from. I have the underperforming dudes at the top. Like, I literally went Julio Rodriguez with my first pick, Nolan Arenado with my second. Both of those dudes have had struggles this season so far. Emmanuel Classe, that's great. Julio Arias, even with the little injury, like, I'm fine with it. Corey Seager missed a ton of time. And then we get into, like, Andres Jimenez, William Contreras, Reese Hoskins, man. Like, I have been searching for power at first base all season. I have Matt Mervis. That isn't working out for me. Um, I liked this draft. And in retrospect, it kind of fell apart for me on the early part of the season. I think it could come back, but it's a good lesson. And you can love your draft and it cannot work out. Oh, absolutely. Um, this was the only, this was the first live in-person draft that I had done in probably five years. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, almost all of my drafts, well, all of my drafts uh, happen offline. And I mean, the, the drafts that I would do in person uh, were in, like my home league. And I haven't lived at home in Massachusetts um, in about 20 years. Uh, and so that doesn't happen very often for me either. So this was a lot of fun. I mean, just the, the environment and the experience of doing it in a room full of people and kind of it, how quiet the room can get at the at, and how it can ebb and flow um, as as stuff happens, as picks are made that obviously multiple people have opinions about uh, during the draft. Um, I, I looked back; I hadn't looked at this draft board until you sent me the link to to review it, and I was like, "Wow, okay." Um, I, I I understand why I'm doing I'm doing okay in the league this year. Last year, I was in I, basically you and me were like flipped. This time last year, um, I was in the bottom third of the league most of the season. I think I crawled myself up to like sixth or seventh by the end of it. Um, but for the for the most part, in the last couple of weeks, I had been in the top three. I think I just got bumped down a couple of spots over the last week. Um, but this was a this was a team that I had drafted. It was like my 14th or 15th draft of the season, um, and. I found myself drafting either players I had not drafted in any other league or stalwarts, like to get guys I had pretty much everywhere. Um, so I had, you know, Machado was my only, even in the first round, the only place I had him, um, Diaz in Cincinnati. My, the only time I picked him up as a closer, which was obviously working out. Okay. Joe Ryan also very happy with that pick, but these are guys I didn't have anywhere else. Uh, Grayson Rodriguez, obviously, jury's still out on that. It hasn't worked out so much so far, but um, I think I actually just dropped them this this, this past week finally. Um, but then I mix them up with like guys like Yoshida, who I have everywhere. Xander, I have in a bunch of places. Luis Castillo, I have in a bunch of places. And my top half of my draft is pretty much worked out okay. Um, it's the bottom half of my draft that's kind of hit or miss. Yeah. Uh... You know, Yoshida has been amazing. I have Yoshida in a handful of places and good job past me for buying into the Red Sox ability to <laughs> uh, sign Yoshida. Xander's been really good to, um, uh, that's Luis Castillo, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Luis. Yeah. There are a few of those. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I love Luis. Well, I just wanted to clarify. I love Luis Castillo. I think that he, that's an incredible pick and the context is good and everything about that pick is great. So the next question I'm I'm curious about for you, who's your biggest hit and miss so far on this draft? Like what really worked out for you and what are you like yikes? Yeah, I mean this is obviously easy to do, you know, looking back 20, you know, hindsight 2020 and all that. But I look back and like all I'm happy with most of my picks like I said in the top half, but they're really returning pretty much draft value. I mean they're re pretty much returning like nobody's like really jumped up 
based on where I picked him. Obviously, like you said, Luis Castillo is good as fourth rounder. He, you know, maybe he's producing third or second round value, but that's not that big of a jump. Um, so I'm going to go with Joe Ryan. Um, picked him at the uh, back end of the ninth round, um, and obviously, what he's been able to do with the Twins really with almost everybody on the twins rotation has been able to do. Let's not talk about their offense. Um, and, and obviously Molly has been hurt, but uh, Joe Ryan's been, you know, this, this is my SP three in this draft. And this is the type of guy that everybody's talking about pre-drafts or pitching is so deep. You can wait and you can pick these guys up easier said than done, obviously. Uh, but you could very easily have waited and gotten Joe Ryan as your SP one based on what he's been able to produce and been happy with that. So I would say, yeah, Joe Ryan's my uh, my biggest hit. Um, I, I don't have – I looked, I'm like, oh, obviously the biggest hit is going to come from the bottom of your draft, right? The guy that you took a chance on and they did really well. Uh, not so much. The bottom of my draft has been pretty miserable, uh, if I'm being honest. There's been a lot of turnover there. So Joe Ryan in ninth round, back into the ninth round, those have been pretty happy with. And I think the biggest hit from the bottom of my draft um, is probably Francisco Alvarez, but I think I dropped him in this ah. league. So I'm not entirely sure that that worked. That would have been, that would have been the biggest hit for me in this draft. I think I, I held on to him in a different league. Um, I'll go with a guy that I know is still on my team who honestly is one of my favorite players every year. And that's Alex Verdugo picked up Verdugo in the 13th and he has been saving my bacon in a lot of places this year. He's really kind of kicked it up to another level. Also, uh, Ariel Cohen and I have talked about this before. I just like him as a floor pick. Like, I think he's one of those dudes that you always know is going to perform at a certain level. And the fact that he's having himself a really nice season this year makes that um, just kind of gravy on top of mm -hmm. a player who's really nice. The biggest miss for me here, I mean, I have Von Grissom as my middle infielder backup to Corey Seager here. And that obviously penalized me a lot when Seager got hurt. I I did not see the Braves going with the Arcia route. Um, I just totally missed on that. A lot of people did. This is a draft that happens relatively early. So it's not like, I'm not like mad at myself that I didn't know Von Grissom wasn't going to make the team in early March. But at the same time, it's one of those situations where I definitely would have gone with a different backup had I known that. And I found myself sort of cycling through Mauricio Dubon and Edmundo Sosa and like, whole bunch of like random guys I could pick up off the waiver wire who played the middle infield and were not hurt uh, in the early part of the season, which is part of why I find myself so far behind the eight ball here right after Memorial Day. Um, it's such a tight league across categories, though. I mean, you just mentioned that you've been generally in the top three. I think I when I looked this morning, you're in six. But like, honestly, there's a lot of grouping and bunching that's going on right now uh, in this and I, I truly believe, like, I can pull myself up out of this 13th position. Like, there's a handful of places where I can just see six or seven points in the standing It's if I can get, you know, I just got Tyler Glass now back. That's obviously going to be huge for me. I had Seiya Suzuki on this team. Seiya has been heating up quite a bit um, in May and going forward. I'm hoping that that will come together. I just got, uh, just got Corey Seager back. Hopefully that will help me out a little bit here, too. What about what are you sweating categories wise in this league? What are you looking at frequently or are you not looking at categories yet? Oh, that's all I'm looking at. Um, like, <laughs> I talked about it on the wire about three or four weeks ago is when I really start looking at the categories. Um, and, and I really, st really stop looking at positions and where I'm getting those categories. It's just about, you know, where I can get those categories. Um, luckily, I, in most of my leagues, I have some flexibility as far as like, especially on my, on the, on the hitter side where I can kind of move guys around and move guys from the corner to the outfield or from the utility spot or whatever. Um, so I can be a little bit more flexible to get the categories I need. Um, the categories right now that I think the, that is, is really on the pitching side for me, it's the volume categories. It's those wins and those strikeouts. Those seem to be fluctuating quite a bit. I'm kind of in this middle ground right now in strikeouts. So I can't like, that's the worst part too, is like, I, I know I need them, but at the same time, like I've got about 20, there's like 15 or 20 strikeouts on either side of me. So it's like, it's going to be hard for me to move up or down, but I know it still needs to be a focus, especially at this point of year with so much time left. Um, but to your point, like on wins, like I've got, I can move up four spots with a good week um, in that one category. Uh, speed is another thing that I'm kind of sweating. And it, I find this to be true a with even with like all the strike the stolen bases that are out there right now um and almost every league i have except for like one i'm in the bottom half of stolen bases in in every single league so it's uh both runs and stolen bases kind of go hand in hand and so these are those are the categories that i'm like uh really kind of focusing on right now not to you know 
give away any targets that I'll be looking <laughs> at in the in the near future. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's I, I see myself moving in both directions, mostly down in stolen bases week to week. So it's the one that I uh, I'm paying the most attention to now. Stolen bases have been so weird for me this year, and I this might actually be a process element that I wind up looking at differently next year, because I don't think any of us knew what to expect from stolen bases going into the season. And so there were lots of different ways you could play it. The way that I decided to play it was to grab myself a guy or two who I thought were going to get like 30 plus bags, but honestly not to stress about stolen bases mm -hmm. too much after that. Cause I sort of figured like they would come. And I feel like I have been wrong about that. Like I found myself chasing steals on the waiver wire and not really being able to find them as much as I thought I would, um, or to have guys who have stolen bases, but they're not playing is not enough for me to really put them in my lineup all the time. Hello, Milestra, I'm looking at you. Um, you know, and it's one of those situations where I just find myself really kicking myself a little bit on how I approached stolen bases this year. Um, and honestly, I haven't figured it out just yet. <laughs> well, I, yeah, one of the main, one of the main areas that I've done any kind of possible research is in stolen bases. And I think the that was the major question that we all we're all asking is who is going to benefit the most. Um, some people thought they had the answer. Other people weren't so sure whether it was going to be, you know, are the speedsters just going to run more often? Uh, is it going to benefit the slowest people because the bases are now close together? Uh, what, what direction is going to be? And from everything I've looked into, it really is the, the fastest of the fast are benefiting the most. They are being even more aggressive. Um, the opportunities that they had last year that they did, weren't taking, they were taking those opportunities now. You're seeing a lot more uh, aggressiveness by them on the base pass. Um, and so with that being said, if you didn't prioritize stolen bases in, in the draft, um, it's not as though you can just find guys on the wire that are stealing bases more than you thought they were going to. There are some guys that are doing, they're taking advantage of the, the matchups, the, you know, the, the, the catchers with the slow pop times, the pitchers that take a while to, you know, get the ball to the plate. Um, but really you, it's the Estuary Ruiz's of the world it's the Ronald Cooney's of the world. I mean, it's the Wander Franco's of the world, apparently um, that kind of, that one kind of came out of nowhere if, based on what everybody was assuming but the fastest players are taking advantage and all the fastest players were drafted. So it's not as though you can just find some fast guy, unless you're Jake McCarthy and you're coming back from a demotion and then you decide to steal, you know, six bases in six days or something like that. Yeah. I'm going to have to figure that one out as we, as we go along this season. Um, I do like that you're talking about categories more than players. Everybody else that I've talked to from this league so far uh, tends to look more at like, I need a second baseman who's going to play this week and not worrying about the individual categories so much. And I find myself doing what you do. Like I kind of do a look at each category. I'm like, oh, I have seven points that I could theoretically get in home runs. If I can find a dude who is hitting home runs and like pop them in my lineup here. Um, sometimes that's working out better for me than others, but I do definitely want to get to that as we talk about our fab processes in a second. Before I do that though, uh, waiver wire ads so far, who are your favorite ones? I think the two of my favorite ones here are going to tell you all about the trouble that my team is in this year. But um, I, I was really lucky to pick up Casey Schmidt on a week where everybody was focused on other dudes and I didn't have to spend an arm and a leg to get any. He's been great. And that has been super helpful to me. Some multi-positional eligibility there uh, with the Giants. And then I had Daniel Bard on this team and Daniel Bard has not been saving games because Daniel Bard had some issues in the world baseball classics. So I was lucky enough to pick up Pierce Johnson for cheap early on. So I could get those saves and saves is the one category that I am not totally losing in Glarf right now. I think I'm in the lead in saves. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Well, luckily you were able to bank all those Pierce uh, Johnson saves while you had them and not too worried about, you know, dropping them back into the, into the waiver pool with Justin Lawrence, obviously being the, the hot pickup out of Colorado uh, yeah. this past week. Um, I, I looked through this. I saw this question on the rundown. It was tough. I went through every single week of fab and I, I was not ultimately proud with pretty much any of my pickups. Uh, the one that stuck out to me um, was Zach McKinstry and not because of when I got him or how much I got him for, which was too late is that, Zach McKinstry was in my waterfall bids for like three weeks leading up to when I finally picked him up. And I just ended up getting 
he has ended up moving up the ranks in each conditional <laughs> up the ladder in those conditional bids each week, but I still ended up getting the guy um, above him and it would have been nice to have had him on the roster the entire time. The roster flexibility is nice. I mean, the, the low hanging fruit, if you asked me this question last week was obviously, uh, you know, I paid up for Bryce Miller. I didn't pick up any of the other guys prior to that. So I had a whole bunch of fab to, to throw out. Um, nice. I, I bid him in every league. I don't think I got him in any of my 12 teamers. But I got him in both my 15 and both TGFBI and Glarf. Uh, and so I had to pay a little bit more for it. But luckily, in Glarf, you have the luxury of knowing what the fab results are in other leagues. If you're in a main event, if you're in TGFBI and other 15 teamers, you kind of get a sense of how much the, the population is looking to spend on these players where our fab in Glarf doesn't run until midnight Eastern time, as opposed That's to right. the, the 10 o'clock uh, time uh, with all the other NFBC leagues. So you get that two hour buffer to be like, oh, I wonder if I should up my bid because he went for, you know, an extra 50 bucks in pretty much every other 15 teamer. Um, or, hey, maybe I don't need to spend as much. Uh, I didn't do that because I ended up falling asleep before that midnight bit, <laughs> midnight thing anyway. Uh, so I ended up just like upping my bid the last second and just going to bed and waking up. And I'm like, oh, I was pretty happy with Bryce Miller until, you know, the last two starts. <laughs> Bryce Miller has been great. You're going to be just fine. It's funny. I actually... Um, I do the add the $50 thing with the Glarf bids too, or I just like reconcile myself to the fact that I am not going to get that player and I add somebody else in <laughs> the waterfall. I'm like, that okay, well, I'll get this other guy instead. It'll be fine. <laughs> I think there's a couple of different ways to approach that. Um, one of the one of the things I like to talk about on this show, and I love what you've got here, so I'm curious to hear you talk it through. What is your fab process each week? We had Jenny Butler on talking about her notebook and like, you know, taking notes on all the guys that she's hearing so that she doesn't forget about them each week. Um, Dave explained to us like what he's looking for in his fab process each week. But I'm curious for you, what are you looking for and how are you making sure that you have the right pickups on the waiver wire each week? Well, I have the luxury of uh, hosting my own podcast where all we talk about is fab every week. And we <laughs> record on Saturday nights. And most of the time, minus this last week where I did the, po the, the pod solo, which was an experience in and of itself, if I'll tell you that much. Um, I hope not to have to do that again. <laughs> we have You've had been the luxury. It. Yeah, it, it, was, it was fun. We, I did it live. I did it live. Um, no, I edited a lot of it. Um, and, but... I've had the voices in my ear every week, like telling me, you know, who the guys you're, they're looking at, why they're looking at them. Kevin Hastings obviously is there, was there most of the, most of the time for about two and a half years. And he's still, you know, in and out as well. Um, former TGFBI champion. So I'm going to, you know, obviously going to listen to the guys that he's, he's looking at as well. Um, so that's nice. So I don't necessarily have Jenny's notebook or I don't use the watch list to be honest with you. I use, that's my most, my note taking, um, on top of what's happening in all my other leagues as well. Um, that's the beauty of volume, you know, drafting and volume playing. You, you can kind of see trends happening in other leagues and how that can translate into what could benefit the other leagues you're in. My number one step, though, is I don't look at the guys I could add. I look at my roster and who I want to drop. I look at who I want to drop first, who's not doing anything, who's on the IL for an extended period of time, uh, who's clogging up my roster. I... I add them to my drop list first, and then I and then I fill in the guys that could be uh, useful to replace them. Um, I'll usually also check out who's on my bench currently. Um, I like to, depending on the rest of my roster, I like to keep a pretty structured bench, number of pitchers, number of hitters, uh, positions, um, backup positions, stuff like that. Um, and if that's not even out, then I will check that bench to see who can be dropped from there and and, and make sure that that's even. Um, and then as we've been talking about this whole episode is I'll look at the standings and look at the categories in which I can make the most ground or the categories I need to defend. Um, so even if I'm at the top of the standings in home runs, if the guy, if, if there's four people right below me that only have one or two less home runs than me, that's still a category. I, I don't want to just forget about just because I'm at Absolutely. the top because now I have more room that I could fall. Um, so you can lose as much ground as you can gain in other categories. So I'll look at that. Um, and then I'll look at the free agent list to see who's actually available in my league. Um, you know, of course, I've got some guys in my, you know, I'll do the control F. I'll find the guys I want. But at the same time, um, you never know. I got Josh Lowe in a league uh, two weeks ago. I'm like, why is Josh Lowe on my waiver wire right now? That's insane. I'm like, I don't care. I'll, I'll 
one, two, and three go out the window, and I'm only yeah. going to add Josh Lowe. That's fine. <laughs> there are I mean, that's incredible. I, I don't know why you had Josh Lowe available either. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Adam. There we go. Well, that uh, really I, sums it up. It's really about who I'm going to drop, and then I figure out who I'm going to add. It is interesting because you can find, um, looking for categories, you can find some guys that you just didn't even realize were going to be available for you, and you didn't even realize were going to be options. And I think that, you know, I will find myself taking notes on who was dropped each waiver wire period. So I'm like, don't forget to add somebody that I'm like, Oh, that's a player I'm interested in who was dropped, but also, you know, double check people do drop sneakily towards the run of fab too. Like they don't do all of their drops like on that fab run. So like on Sunday morning, Sunday before fab run, I'm, I'm like double checking to make sure somebody didn't get dropped that in the interim period there. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't realize you could drop players in advance in the NFBC. I know you can do that on fan tracks and, and other formats. Um, that's interesting. I'm going to start looking at that. No, well, I, okay. So I, this is format specific. So okay, I am right, not sure enough. if you can do, I am not sure if you can do it in the NFBC. Um, but you, I do double check that on other formats. I do that on mm-hmm. fan tracks. I do that in my Yahoo Absolutely. League, double checking, making sure that like, cause you don't always see it on the waiver wire run. It takes two seconds to do a control F to find the player that you think could be available and see if they're actually available. We say this every single week. Yeah. Check your drops, check your league settings, and then also just search. If you want a player, just search for them. It might take you an extra five minutes to find five or six players that you're interested in. They might not be available. But then then again, once, once in a while, you see a Josh Lowe just sitting out there. I can't believe you had Josh Lowe available <laughs> in one of your leagues. It's out of, that's out of control. Um, what are your biggest team needs right now, and how are you trying to fill it? Uh, I think I alluded to it earlier, uh, wins and Ks on the pitching side. Um, it's just there. I hate to say it because I think it's a bad strategy in general, but it's just finding the most volume. Um, yeah. on, on the pitching side, it's more difficult because there are more categories in which you can be hurt by that bad volume. Obviously, you have two ratios in a normal five by five on the pitching side where you only have the one ratio to worry about um, on the hitting side. So if you're just looking for at you know at bats, at bats, at bats to get all those counting stats, you're only possibly hurting yourself in average, but on the pitching side, you get a two start and one of those starts ends up being, you know, a seven, seven earned run outing in three innings and it kills your ERA and probably came along with a bunch of walks and hits as well. Blowing up your whip that can do more harm than good. But I mean, I'm kind of treading water in the ratios right now and I'm dropping like a rock in the wins and K's. So that is my number one, uh, area of improvement there on the hitting side is just speed um we talked about it earlier i'm just looking for guys that can steal with some bases and hopefully they're doing it from the top of the lineup because i need some runs as well yeah i mean i am also in the k's and wins uh situation trying to just like get some of get some volume there so that i can try to K's worse so than wins. I, I'm not sure I can I can make up some of the ground I need to on the K side of things, but I certainly can in wins. There's some places that I can I can get some spots right there. Um, before we let you go, the same question I always end the show with: What is your best piece of advice for a new-ish fantasy player? Maybe somebody who's thinking about making the jump from their home league to an NFBC league, or maybe looking at a, a dynasty league for the first time. How should they approach um, taking the leap into a new type of fantasy? Two parts here. Um, I would say that first and foremost, the thing that I've been telling myself for the last three or four years that I really want to do is cut down on how many platforms I play on. Um, So if you are looking to jump in here or there, and obviously you don't want to leave your home dynasty leagues or or the league you've been in for 20 years or whatever it is, that's fine. I get that. Um, But expand at a slow rate. Don't try to jump into an NFBC 50 and jump in some keeper league on on fan tracks and try Anu, which is exactly what I ended up doing. Um, It's the amount of platforms is the thing that's haunting me is jumping from tab to tab to tab. Um, I don't mind having 15 teams on NFBC because it's all on the same platform and I just scroll through and the fab is easy to do there and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but then I forget to do my fab run on my Fantrax leagues. Um, and my new team is struggling just because it daily moves and, and what have you. So know your limits on that. And then in a more general sense, understand what your limits are in your own life. Um, and what you've got going on, what kind of time you can actually commit to what you actually want to do. 
fantasy baseball is not fantasy football. Fantasy baseball is not DFS. It's not thing you can like step away from for a couple of days and come back to. Um, if you do that, you're dropping in the standings and all of a sudden you lose interest in it what altogether. It's a marathon, not a sprint. I know I'm not the first person to use that analogy in this situation, but know that you it does take a certain form of dedication to do well. Um, and if you don't have the ability to do that, you're then know that. Just know that. Know what your Sundays look like if you want to join a bunch of fab leagues. Because like you said, it takes a lot of time to do your fab run, um, especially if you're not prepared. So just know what your limitations are, really. You know, it's so interesting that you bring up the multiple platform thing, because I mean, I think I just case in point, right? You know, a few seconds ago, it's like your process changes on different platforms because of the Absolutely. way people can add and drop and what you're looking at and where you need to look for things. There are some places where it's really easy to search for minor leaguers. Sometimes minor leaguers have different rules about when they get added to the pool and how they get added to the pool. And so every time you add a platform, you're adding like a new set of rules and structures and processes on top of all of your other stuff. I, I think if I had one lesson that I could go back in time and tell past me, it would be like, hey, be kind of skeptical of like, yeah, I'm going to play in this Yahoo League and this Fantrax League and this on Roto League and this NFBC League. And, you know, you can you can be treading water really fast on Sundays if you have to check seven different platforms for things. Absolutely. Or you forget to check them all together, which is, you know, the, <laughs> the road I end up running down a couple of times. Like, it's funny, I think we're in that same auto new league together and I'm, I'm doing okay with that. But for a while, I was just like, I the daily nature of the moves was just oh, like, man. God forbid that I forgot that about the Peacock game on Saturday. I love, I love Anu as a, as a format, as, as the platform is, I mean, they, they've done a really good job with that. Um, and I feel terrible that I just, I'm, I'm not, I'm not doing well there. Um, and it's not a league I want to, I want to carve out. It's just tough because it's, I only in one, the one on new league. If I was in like four or five, maybe I'd feel a little bit differently because I'd be a little bit more weighted on that platform. Um, but right now, it, it, it's it's tough. And you think being on, I mean, like, oh, I'm on Fangraphs all the time, looking up stuff, looking up stats. I'm like, it's right there. Um, but it's it's it feels separate. <laughs> no, it's a challenge for sure. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk through all of this. Uh, Y'all should listen to Adam's podcast on The Wire. It is a great show um, and really a great resource for your fab runs each week. Adam, what else are you working on and where can people find you and your work? Uh, thanks, Eric. Um, yeah, check me out on the Twitter at 80 grade. That's all spelled out. Uh, you can follow on the wire at on the wire pod. And if you go to my Twitter page, my pin tweet, there's a link to what I call the brag boards. Um, it's my own little tableau uh, that focuses strictly on stolen bases um, over the last since 2019, looking at stolen base um, opportunities um, at the rate in which runners and pitchers and catchers get run on. Um, and it's a, it, I mean, I, I think it's a great <laughs> resource um, that could be really utilized if uh, if you utilize it the right way. Um, so check that out. Awesome. Thanks for joining me today, Adam. As always, you. you can find me at, at BCB underscore Sarah. You can find some of my fantasy work at Baseball HQ, the NLE's playing time tomorrow column that I have been writing over there. And you can find my Cubs writing at bleedcubbyblue.com. Uh, until next time, we will be back next week looking at some of the uh, trends and things that have been happening with the new rules so far this season with Jason Collette. You will not want to miss that one. So make sure you are subscribed to the show so that you never miss an episode. You can find the show at Fans First Sports Network Fantasy. And please leave us a five-star review and a rating if you like the show so other people can find it too. 